All right, in this session of the listener's commentary, we're going to be looking at Romans 14, 13, and following, and begin to really work through the implications then of what Paul said in 14, 1 through 12. So let's make sure we have the issue in front of us still. And that is that we have these two groups of people whom Paul calls the strong and the weak. The strong are people who feel they're, they're free in Christ, eat both vegetables and meat, even if the meat came from the meat market and was offered to some pagan god, that they're not worried about it. The strong are those who see no need for a ritual calendar. They don't value one day over the other. And so we could call them like they're the non-observant ones when it comes to meat, no meat, and all of that. The weak, on the other hand, well, they're the non-eater. They're only going to eat vegetables, and they're the calendar observant ones. They're the ones that feel like, oh, we need to have a ritual calendar. And so you've got these two groups at odds with each other in the Roman churches, and they're not interacting with each other. They're looking down on each other. They're criticizing each other and judging each other and treating each other with contempt. And so there's some real tension there. And Paul is trying to help them navigate all that based on justification by faith, based on the righteousness of God, based on all the theology that he's given them in chapters one and following. He's trying to help them realize now, and this is going to have very practical, tangible lifestyle implications for you. And one of that is you guys have to learn how to get a along with one another. And uh, ultimately, what Paul is going to say to him here in the paragraphs that, that we're going to look at in this session is, uh, you guys need to start eating together. That concretely, that tangibly, here's the way it's going to play out. You guys need to start eating together. And this is massive. This is huge. In fact, it would be difficult for us to overstate the importance of eating together as far as a social practice in the first century of the Mediterranean world into which Paul is writing and acting, right? Like one scholar says, even everyday mealtimes were highly complex events in which social values, boundaries, statuses, and hierarchies were reinforced. Like eating together mattered and it represented all these things about your social values, your social status, and, and all of that. And so eating together is a big deal. In fact, um, eating together in the first century of the Mediterranean world was was like like only ate with like equal ate with equal. It, it signaled equality. It signaled mutuality and jointness and oneness. And that's why Paul's like, that's what we have to learn how to do here. You have to learn to eat together as a concrete, tangible expression of your unity in Christ. As one scholar puts it, he says, being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. And the early Christians aren't eating together. They're not interacting with each other because of their disagreement about food. And so Paul's like, so we're going to learn how to eat together. And that's the direction Paul is going to take us here in the paragraphs that we're going to look at in this recording. So practically, what we could say, at least in our language and in our cultural context, perhaps, is all of this theology about justification by faith and everything he said in 14, 1 through 12 about, look, you, you are each the Lord's servants, and so you're going to be accountable to God, so quit judging each other. Behaviorally, then, what will welcoming the weak, 
require on Sunday afternoon's potluck dinner or Wednesday night's Bible study dinner? What will it look like um, for joint small group gatherings around a meal? What what is this behaviorally going to look like? And what Paul is going to tell us in the paragraphs that flow out of 14, 1 through 12 is he's going to speak more specifically to the strong. He's going to have advice to them because remember, ultimately what he wants us to do is welcome one another. And so he's going to have three big points for the strong, but he's going to speak those points in such a way that the weak who are listening in on the letter as well, get instructed about their weakness. All right. It's very astute and wise presentation here on Paul's behalf because he's going to speak directly to the strong. So the weak hear him calling out the strong, but he's going to do so in such a way that the strong hear him educating the weak about their weaknesses. And in the end, the goal is for them to learn how to interact with each other. Let's listen to what Paul has to say here in Romans 14, picking up in verse 13. He says, therefore, so he's drawing out conclusions. And so in 13 through 15, the first thing Paul's going to say as he addresses this issue, he's going to speak directly to the strong, and he's going to say here in 13 through 15, the strong must refrain from tripping up the weak. This is what he says. Therefore, let's not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. And so let's not put a a stumbling block. Something's going to trip them up in their way. And that word stumbling block is scandalon in Greek. It's a really strong word, usually referring to something that traps people in a serious or even sometimes deadly sort of way. In fact, outside of human context, it was sometimes referred to as a trap by which you would bait and trap an animal. And so let's not put something like that in someone's way. Don't put a stumbling block, a trap, something to trip somebody up in such a serious, destructive to their faith sort of way. Paul says in verse 14, For I know, and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul aligns with the straw. Like, there's nothing unclean. No food is unclean. You get food from the meat market, it's just food. It's just meat. It's not unclean. Paul says, I know, and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Those old distinctions of clean and unclean that were found in the Old Covenant uh, that were so important for setting Israel apart as part of their covenant with God and as a way of being a light to the nations, those distinctions no longer apply. Uh, Jesus began to uh, repeal those distinctions. Uh, God made it very clear to Peter in Acts chapter 10 and 11 that he was repealing those distinctions. And now God is forming one new family in the Messiah composed of both Jew and Gentiles. And so those clean and unclean distinctions no longer apply. That's Paul's point. I know in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But... To the one who thinks something is unclean, to that person it's unclean. And so you who are in the strong category, Paul is saying is, look, I'm with you. I know it's not unclean. But to the person in the weak category, to them, it's unclean. It it feels dirty. It makes them feel guilty when they eat it. So don't force them is what he's going to say. Listen to what he says. He says, for verse 15, for if because of food, your brother or your sister is hurt, then you're no longer walking in accordance with love. Don't destroy with your choice of food that person for whom Christ died. 
That's directly addressing the strong, and he's saying, don't destroy them. Don't harm them because of your choice of food. In other words, don't throw the fact that you, you eat meat in their face. Don't flaunt the fact that you're free to eat whatever you want, and don't do it with an arrogant sort of way like, dude, you just need to get over yourself and realize it's just food. It's no big deal. Don't do that because when you do that, you're no longer walking in accordance with love. You're tearing down your brother. You're harming your brother or your sister for whom Christ died. And, and so, again, Paul is primarily addressing the strong, but he's doing so in such a way that it instructs the weak. And what he says to them is, you who are strong, yes, you might be right. In fact, I think you're right. I agree with you. All things are clean in Christ. But that doesn't give you an excuse to hurt, harm, and trip up your brother or sister for whom it really feels very unclean. Now, in verses 16 through 18, he gives another implication. Notice 16 begins with therefore. So here's another implication. And the main point in verses 16 through 18 is that the strong must not let that the good thing be slandered as evil, as a bad thing. So don't let the good be slandered as evil. So this is what he says in verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. What does he mean by the good thing be spoken of as evil? Well, presumably it seems like what he means by the good thing is their freedom in Christ, their liberty, which means their freedom from, from Torah, their freedom to eat meat, their freedom to eat whatever they want, right? Their freedom from the ritual calendar, their freedom. Don't let your freedom in Christ it seems to be what he means by the good thing, be spoken of as evil. Why? How could it be spoken of as evil? If it's harming your brother, if it's tearing down the church, if it's dividing God's people, then all of a sudden something that's good becomes spoken of and thought of as an evil thing. So don't do that. Don't let the good thing be spoken of as an evil thing. Now, Who's doing the slandering, right? Who's doing the speaking of the good thing as evil? Some scholars say, uh, it's the weak. They're going to speak of it as evil. Some say it's outsiders. Those who look at the church and say, look, you guys can't even get along and don't even know what your own religion is about. And I suppose it could be either one. I'm actually not sure. And in the long run, I don't think it largely matters because either could be true. And what Paul is going to tell us to do or what Paul is telling us to do here actually will solve both problems. If we limit our liberty out of love for our brothers and sisters, then they're not going to speak ill of our freedom in Christ, right? They'll actually be more likely to listen to us, learn from us, and grow. Um, if we're unified as one body in Christ rather than at odds with each other over our, our freedom about food and uh, matters of opinion, then guess what? Outsiders, the world, won't have a cause to slander us at that point. And so Paul's instructions is going to solve the, the problem whether the people doing the speaking uh, about a good thing as a bad thing are weak brothers and sisters in Christ or outsiders. And so let's not let what the good thing be spoken of as a bad thing. And what's the reason for that? Well, verse 17 essentially gives the reason. And the reason is because, in a nutshell, eating and drinking doesn't really matter. Listen to what he says. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, it doesn't really matter. Again, speaking to the strong, but instructing the weak. So to the weak, they're hearing the kingdom of God really isn't about food. It's really not about eating or drinking. It's not about food, um, but it's about righteousness. 
and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about doing what's right. It's about peace, shalom, harmony amongst God's people. And it's about joy, which is essentially a relational quality, enjoying each other's company, enjoying what God is doing in and among you, sharing your joy in Christ with each other. And so the kingdom of God is about that stuff. It's not about food. It's not about uh, whether you get to eat meat or don't, whether you only eat veggies or not, right? It's not about eating and drinking. And so the strong here don't harm your brother because the kingdom of God really isn't about food. And the weak here, guess what? It really doesn't matter because the kingdom of God isn't about food. And so everybody is really being built up and challenged by Paul's words here. And so Paul says in verse 18, for the one who serves Christ in this way, the one who serves Christ recognizing food and drink don't matter, but righteousness, peace, and joy, that's what really matters. The one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and is approved by other people. And when he says acceptable to God, the word literally is pleasing. The one who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by other people. In other words, if we will live out the standard about the kingdom of God that Paul has just taught us about it being righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, then this pleases God and this, uh, this improves our relationship with other people. And so let's live in keeping with the kingdom of God. And then in verses 19 through 23, Paul makes really his final main point to the strong here. He says the strong must pursue harmony and building up the church. Don't just please yourself. Don't just do what feels good for yourself. You've got to be driven by what's best for the church. Pursue harmony and building up the church. He says this in verse 19. So then, literally, therefore, therefore, two different words for therefore. So therefore, therefore, here's like the final implication Paul wants to drive home. So then, we must pursue the things which make for peace for shalom, for harmony, right? Like not just avoiding conflict, but building up harmony and peace amongst the body of Christ. So we must pursue that. It's not going to happen on accident. We have to pursue that. So then we must pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So we're driven not by what we want to do or what feels good for ourselves or our preferences. We're driven by what's best for the whole church, for the whole body of Christ, for the building up of one another. In fact, Paul says very strongly in verse 20, he says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. That's very strong and very clear. Can't miss his point. Uh, you who are strong, you who are weak, listen closely, he says. Don't tear down the work of God, i.e. don't tear down what God is doing in forming a new family in Jesus, a family made up of people from all different backgrounds and all different ethnic groups, right? Jews and Gentiles and everybody else with different heritage and different customs. Don't tear that down for the sake of food, for the sake of food. Don't tear down the work of God, his church, his people, uh, his new family in Christ, don't tear that apart over food. He says, Paul uh, restates, all things indeed are clean. I'm with you, strong people. I'm with you. All things are indeed are clean. You're free to eat whatever food you want. All things indeed are clean. And so the strong are firm that, yes, you're right. The weak here, Paul's saying, you're actually right. And so they're learning, wow, Paul thinks that? Paul actually agrees with the strong on this one? All things indeed are clean? Yeah, he does. So all things indeed are clean, but 
They're actually evil for the person who eats and causes offense. So if you're a strong person and you eat and you you cause offense, which is the idea of destroying, causing to stumble, tripping someone up in such a serious way that it harms their faith, right? Like if you harm somebody's faith over food uh, or over any really matter of opinion, right? If you do that, that's evil, Paul says. That's evil. You're tearing down the work of God for the sake of food. Um, verse 21, it's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything. By which your brother or sister stumbles. That word stumbles is from the same root as the word stumbling block up above. And so it's good. It's actually a good thing to restrain your liberty. It's a good thing to uh, tone yourself down. It's a good thing uh, to not cause your brother or sister to stumble over something that in the long run really doesn't matter. So it's good to not eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything, whatever else it might be, by which your brother or sister stumbles. Verse 22, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. And presumably what he means by the faith here is the specific faith you have regarding food, right? Like you have that as your own conviction before God. I'm free to do this. In the long run, it doesn't matter. I know I'm free between me and God, but if it's going to harm somebody else, if it's going to offend them and tear down and, and harm their faith and really weaken their walk with God, look, I won't do it. I won't do it. And so the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy, he says, is the one who does not condemn himself and what he approves. In other words, okay, so you approve eating of meat. You approve being free from the, the ritual calendar. Great. Guess what? You'll be blessed. You'll be happy if you don't condemn yourself in your freedom, in your freedom. And then he adds in verse 23, but the one who doubts, well, this would be someone from the weak category. The one who doubts, like, should I, should I? I don't know. I mean, I'm not so sure, right? He's condemned if he eats. For him, this is an act of judgment. This is a condemnation. Why? Because his eating isn't from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. And so he's like, I don't know if I can do this in a good conscience before God. I don't know if this is right. I'm not sure about this. And so now he's he's being encouraged by your example or even by your words to eat. And then he feels kind of guilty and tainted after he does. And it's like, Paul's like, you tore him down. You, you condemned him because you caused him to eat something not from faith, not from trust and confidence in God. And so Paul's ultimate advice to the strong is, look, you don't have to flaunt your freedom in front of the weak just because you're right. In fact, as F.F. Bruce uh, says in one of his books, the truly free man is not in bondage to his freedom. If you're really so free, then don't be in bondage to your freedom. Restrain your freedom out of love for your brother or sister in Christ who's going to be harmed if they see you eating. And to the weak brother or sister in Paul's original audience, as they listen in on Paul explaining this, they hear the Apostle Paul affirm the position of the strong. And so that the weak are really challenged to reevaluate their position. You mean the Apostle Paul? He actually agrees with the position of the strong? Yes, he does. And so now they're forced to evaluate your, their position. And the whole goal of all of this is to help the Christians actually learn how to interact with each other and eat together as one new family in Christ.